0: and an indó askeige Táim imíchttaí dhéhsachcht of end of chacht a máchan seo gur féidir é chor iúíigh ceart lena win féin. Skilti fis turmi
1: ara igornamion
2: a gin ná grh ááachchttum fracht séthrin grn find us on all the usual podcast platforms.
3: Yeah, having my head shoved into the uh, steps of the Ulster Bank in Ranla, called butt of a gun and
0: put into the back of your skull—that's a moment where you go, okay. Yeah, I think this one's up. How does a high-flying academic become one of Ireland's most prolific bank robbers? What I would
1: see is the most important
0: part of this still lies open. I'm Not Here to Hurt You, a brand new series from the award-winning team behind the Indo Daily. That November day, that's where it all, all begins. Out now, wherever you get your
1: podcasts.
0: Are we losing track of all of the streaming platforms we're signing up to? How high can your monthly bill go? Are Netflix, Spotify, Disney+, Amazon Prime Video, and Apple TV+, just the beginning? Well, last week, Star Trek fans were given the bad news that its Star Trek Discovery series is being removed from Netflix, with all past and future episodes only available on yet another streaming platform, Paramount+. Now, are we going to just accept all of this and subscribe to yet another platform? Or are we reaching overload? And what are the streaming platforms doing to television and movies? Well, here to discuss all of this with me today are Steve McCormack, the CEO of Reflector Media and a producer on TV shows such as Fade Street. Anthony Muldoon, who is the Insights Policy and Communications Manager at Screen Producers Ireland. And journalist Jennifer Gannon. So you are all very welcome to the podcast. Now, can I start with a question? Jennifer and anybody else, how much do you actually pay per month for your streaming TV
1: I don't know. Uh, in truth, um, I'm no Carol Vorderman. And the, the problem is you don't really feel it coming out. you kind of just because TV is my job and I need to have all of these like you need to have all these streaming services to keep on top of everything. So, I mean, mm. I would say it's probably, oh, ter- 30 to 50, maybe 30 to
0: 50. I'm going to mm. see your 30 to 50 because I actually totted it up before we started the podcast one hundred and forty two euro per month
1: oh god maybe it is that <laughs> one hundred and forty two wildly... now
0: i am taking into account sky because i mostly okay. stream sky okay so a sky is 80 quid of that hundred and forty two month but netflix 13 euro amazon prime video seven euro disney plus nine euro apple tv plus five euro discovery plus don't ask six euro youtube premium which i use more than any of the others 12 euro Mubi. The Art House uh, film streaming service, which I like to tell everybody I use, and I use yeah. about once a month, a tenor. And then Sky is the rest of it. And that is not including things like Spotify, I- iCloud, Dropbox. And it's also not including my TV license, because I do watch some of these uh, apps on a television. And of course, if you watch Netflix on a television, you need a television license at what is it, 160 euro? Mm. You don't need it, by the way, if you're just watching on a laptop or a phone. But that's an argument for another day. Um, Anthony, how about you? It's just
2: Netflix, Disney Plus, Amazon, and um, now TV.
0: Okay. What, Stephen?
3: Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'd be similar, and I have made the final cord cutting. I got rid of Virgin Media recently. <laughs>
0: So I have no
3: actual television cable, but I have Steven, Netflix.
0: you do realize that Virgin Media is a television producing company now and they might be listening <laughs> to you.
3: Uh, no, no offense, but they've made a lot recently, so I don't think I'll be missing much. Um,
0: <laughs> okay, okay, fair <laughs> enough. Jenner-
3: I not, uh, but I probably spend about 50 quid on all the same services
0: you have, except yeah. Mubi. Except movie, you know, you're, you're, you're not pretentious enough uh, to subscribe to that. <laughs> I've, Gen- I've
3: seen them all in the actual cinema, Adrian.
0: Okay, <laughs> ah, 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 touche. Jennifer, one recent survey I was looking at said that 56% of people, over half of us, now feel overwhelmed by the sheer hmm. number of streaming services to choose from. And we find it harder to pick something to watch. We're there swiping through the different options and we spend 10 or 15 minutes. Um, are there kind of just too many services now?
1: I mean, I think there is because what is happening is, you know, all the IP is being siphoned off to these individual companies and you have not only do you have Disney Plus and you have your, you know, Apple TV and and Netflix and Amazon, but you also have HBO Max, HBO wanting to own their own own IP and then Peacock from NBC as well. And we saw that Now TV have actually taken uh, Peacock as well into Now TV and Sky. So there's almost too much choice for people, I think. And the more that the networks and uh, the major uh, companies are getting involved and wanting to reclaim their own back catalogue, the more they're seeing the value in it, the more this is going to happen and the more it's going to be split up and splintered off. And the less value I think people are going to get out of it and the more confusing it's going to be for the average consumer, which is unfortunate. And the more you're going to lose that unifying feeling of TV, of engagement on a mass level where everybody mm. you know gathers around the TV and has those kind of big TV moments because... This is what the end game will be. You'll have your individual services down to a niche. So it will be like, well, I don't like kids program and I don't have any children, so I don't need the back catalog of Disney. So I will focus on my Netflix or I will be a a Netflix consumer or I'll be an Apple TV consumer and they'll narrow the market and keep on narrowing the market. Um, And it will become very individualized and also very isolating, I think, in another way, which is unfortunate.
0: So we won't have those shared cultural moments. I mean, the Late Late Show, Toy Show last week, Mm. what had something absurd like an eighty percent market share, something like that, and that was. But that's a very rare example, other than big sporting events. Very rare, aren't they?
1: Yeah, it is very rare. But you also see there's a weird pushback to this recently about the anti kind of binge in TV because during the pandemic and during lockdown, we've been so much, we've all, we've almost become sick of it. You have seen companies kind of, especially HBO and Sky, their matchup that they have, they're, something like Succession, which is their big hit. They're only releasing one episode a week now mm. because people want, they need that breathing time. They need that space between episodes to actually absorb them and think about them and that it's a more thoughtful way the old-fashioned model is actually the better way forward well well,
0: is are they doing it for that reason or are they doing it as a trick that the way that disney plus will release one episode mm. a week to keep you subscribed to disney plus because netflix frequently will launch all of the episodes in a series at once and the result is you might watch the whole series in three days and if that's what you subscribe for maybe you don't keep up your subscription
1: Or you don't remember it You see this is the other thing And I think something like The Mandalorian For Disney Plus They also wanted to release It one a week Because they didn't want Somebody just pirating The whole of The Mandalorian And throwing it out there online Throwing it up the next day And everybody just being able To access it that way So I think Mm -hmm. You know They're keeping their Their actual You know programming back They're holding it back like that But I think With something like Succession They're realising That the audience Actually appreciates it more They want that time To ruminate over storylines And engage with them online in a different way rather than somebody going, I'm on episode six and this happened and spoiler alert and whatever. Mm -hmm. They want to avoid all that now and the bad press that that Gets and I think, but also I think with binging, we have become tired of it. Something like Tiger King was such a phenomenon during lockdown. But if you ask somebody about it now, it's like they have PTSD. Mm-hmm. You're, you're taken back to a time of like Joe Wicks doing jumping jacks in your living room, and it actually feels you feel sick. And that's why I think Tiger King Two didn't do the business as well because we're tired of those stories. We we kind of binge them out of fear. And I think the, the way forward is is not binging anymore. Is to you know take your time over shows.
0: Hopefully. Steve, um, Jennifer makes some excellent points there, particularly around community and also about you know thoughtfulness. On the other hand, could it be argued that these streaming services are now, for all of their diversification and maybe isolation, they're giving people purely what they want. If you want really mainly science fiction, you now have options to do that. If you want just horror, you can go off and subscribe know, a tenor or whatever to shudder. If you want reality TV, you can go and, and subscribe to, to Hey You. Um, that actually, this is what a lot of people have been asking for for years, where it was was more bespoke TV stations for themselves.
3: Yeah, I, I think it started with the internet and the long tail idea many years ago, and it's kind of come to fruition now where your segment genre is coming together, because we're seeing the first emergence of global television networks that we hadn't seen before. Mm. We had a situation, used to be, where a US show, network would make the show, send, put it on New Year's network, and then distributors would sell it to different networks like RTE or Channel 4 around the world. Now you see uh, it's all been sucked up into the big unit, and they're taken away from the local networks. I do also think that the drive for succession is more to do with HBO Sunday night in America. And they, they do that big Sunday night TV, the Game of Thrones, Sopranos, mm. for many years, if they're big Sunday night TV. And they're working on a TV model. I know from talking to Netflix, it's all data driven. They, they are happy with both models. They will say, look, young kids will watch The Office or Friends all day long on demand, and, mm. and they're happy with that. And then certain shows do well on a, on a drip feed basis, but they're convinced of boat models, really. They want to give mm. you, they want to let you watch what you want when you want to watch it. And then for certain shows, they will then do a weekly release. And I actually, they would argue that one is not necessarily better than the other, they're just different choices, you know.
0: Mm, Yeah. I mean, and from somebody you you were involved in shows here like Fade Street and many others, you've founded a lot of companies in your time. You've had a very good view uh, how the industry has developed. What sort of impact do you think that the big uh, streaming companies like Netflix and Amazon, Apple TV are having? Is it a positive, a negative one? Are are they considered to be, uh, you know, good corporate citizens in the TV or movie industry?
3: and um, good question and i think this harkens back to when we did our very first podcast with you adrian i don't think the beginning of the internet world right we, mm. we asked the same questions we're like what's going to happen with the internet these googles came along their facebooks came along we're exactly the same position now. it's good and bad to be honest um it's great for choice the quality of programming has gone up the budgets netflix this year will spend 17 billion on content it's, it's an amazing figure so it's great if you're getting some of that money right it's fantastic if you're an actor or a producer or a director who's getting netflix shows but i do feel that it's going to ruin local tv around the world a little bit it's going to remove budgets it's going to remove viewership viewership removes advertising so we're going to see problematic local viewing as these global networks take over and become the rt one and the bbc one of the
0: world you know mm, it's a, that's a complicated discussion though isn't it because there is a point at which you say well what do people want to watch what should be publicly funded because we think it's you know culturally worth us all having you know as a as a baseline to watch it's kind of an interesting discussion yeah
3: i think um public funded tv will stay because we need local funded tv but Mm. the level of producers who can work if the budget's reduced the level of your option is to be international as well and local there's going to be very little room to stay alive locally. And I do think a lot of, you just see the patterns of young people, you know, they're not great at watching local linear TV. And you've Mm. got to think that's a worry for the future. Well, I'm a huge supporter of local self, let's say Irish TV made by Irish people, funded by the Irish taxpayer. I'm a big supporter of it. I think we tell our stories and we can tell them best. Mm. I think we do have to internationalize those stories to make it funding. And I think Normal People is a great first start with something like that. Mm
0: -hmm. Anthony, you're not best impressed with the big streaming platforms, are you? Is it fair to say that?
2: Yeah, our issue will be around IP ownership. Mm. So at the moment, it's fantastic for a producer to get a necklace show because they will get a big budget, but they'll also lose the IP rights to the show. So best example is Squid Game. Um, Mm. 24 million, South Korea. The producer spent 10 years developing the idea, selling the idea, becomes the most watched show in Netflix history, and he gets no extra revenue on the back of that success. Now, when the VP of Netflix in Asia was asked at a press conference in South Korea last two weeks ago, what are you going to do for him? He said, oh, we'll look after him. But that's not contractual. That's Netflix Mm. saying, look after you. So there's no bedrock for him to take extra or extra revenue he has earned as a creative and as a producer of a show to build his next show, to create new content for South Korea, for uh, South Korean drama. But also, as Stephen was saying there about the algorithm, look at what Netflix is doing now. Look how it's pushing its South Korean library to its fullest extent. I think the latest thing I saw was they're making a money heist in South Korea.
0: But isn't that a good thing for a good effect from Squid Game from a South Korean point of view?
2: From a South Korean uh, studio cast and crew, yes. From the Spanish producer that made Money Heist in Spain five years ago, less so because he'll get no revenue or she'll get no revenue from that coming forward. Mm. And what's actually really interesting is something that came out of the, and again, this is kind of political, but of the EU Council ministers for media ministers yesterday is that the Commission is now going to start looking at IP ownership as a key plank of EU. AV sector development. So they're suddenly realizing, oh, we don't want American money owning our cultural projects. We need that in Europe. Because if you don't have it, it's not going to be sustainable. And like one of the key things about public service media and um, I suppose linear old, broad- old broadcasters like BBC, RTE, they had terms of trade with, with producers. They cemented the rights if we lose that, we are going to lose a lot, a lot more than people realize, you know?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a fair point. Jennifer, to bring it back to the actual cost, it did occur to me that although I'm spending 142 euro a month, uh, 62 euro, I suppose you would say is on uh, on the apps themselves. I was going to the cinema before the pandemic, maybe once every six weeks. Now, if I'm going with family, that could end up, turning into 30, 40, 50 quid. 50 quid is pretty much enough for three or four or five um, streaming apps for one or two months.
1: And this is where... Disney Plus have it sewn up for families because you're almost if you have a family, you're almost bullied into getting it because you have the Disney back catalogue is there. They have Marvel there. And as you said, the cinema is such a costly, you know, day out, night out for a family now that they're actually kind of turned against it. And and, and that's the unfortunate the, the way things are going. But also, I do think just with the variety what we're saying about all the different packages and all the different streaming service there's no way that a family could sustain that like a, an average family could sustain that and your interests are being blocked off then and as they're saying like you're you're missing out then you you have you feel like you're missing out and you may not be able to afford all these streaming services to get all this, you know, these TV shows that you may want to watch, and that turns people to piracy. It turns people mm. to, you know, getting things, ripping things from the net, and you know, you can't blame them because who has the money to spend on every single one of these services? Nobody. Well, I mean,
0: are we talking uh, in first world terms here? Because you don't have to have six streaming services mm. a month. I mean, if you have two, maybe three. Let's say you do have Disney Plus. Let's say you had Disney Plus and Netflix you're going to have quite a lot of content there, aren't you?
1: That's it. But the other thing is like you're blocking somebody off from just experiencing things. Like I always think the actor Jason Schwartzman said he complained about Spotify before because he said there should be, you know, or Netflix. He was complaining about the Netflix model saying the algorithm is always like, if you like this, you'd love this. And Mm -hmm. he's like, that's not the way it goes for when you're appreciating something. He said, I'd love if it was, you like this, you might hate this and that's where taste is formed because if you're not exposed to many different things how do you actually know what you like and I always think like if when I was young I was growing up with say BBC 2, Channel 4 and late at night they'd show a Derek Yarman film or something like that you'd stumble across like European cinema and your mind would be blown and are we getting these opportunities again where it's like well this is siphoned off to Mubi or this is siphoned off to Apple TV and are people Going to have those opportunities anymore? Like, is TV to have, you know, to be exposed to all this? Is it becoming elitist because you don't have, you know, 11 euro a month to spend on it as well as everything else? And I think that for writers, for young working class creatives, I think that really is hard. Like, it it will suck. It will change the way that people create, I think, because if you're not exposed to these things, where are you going to learn from? Where are you going to see those things? You should be exposed to as much. different content as possible and I think because the streaming services it is becoming a case where if you like this you go to this streaming service because it's becoming so fragmented you might not have that crossover and you might not have other things like Roland success stories like, say, something like Gogglebox or Come Dine With Me or Four In A Bed. They're just those things you turn on on a Sunday and you, they're in the background. They're not something that you would necessarily pay a streaming service for. And are these shows going to be lost then completely because the streaming services won't make them? So who who cares about them, you know?
0: Would someone, taking the flip side, not say that, that while all of those points are completely valid, it it, it suggests a certain way and of pushing TV and movies that is not really a pure demand-led one.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, it is true. And I think that a lot of when you see as well the arguments, you feel you feel like these arguments are ridiculous. When you feel something see somebody like Martin Scorsese or um Christopher Nolan coming out and saying, you know, I'm I'm upset about people Engaging with superhero movies, or I'm I, I'm upset that people are watching my movies on a you know a phone, um, mm-hmm. they, it, it feels out of, in a way out of touch. But at the same time, I just think something like television has always belonged to everybody, and I think we're w- what it's becoming is is because it's so fractured. It we're losing that the the power of it as well. Because you know you could say to somebody the weirdest thing about it is you're doing end of year lists. And every, you know, TV critic out there could have 10 wildly different TV shows, something you've never heard of because who A has the time and B who has the the streaming services, you know? So I think that's so strange, like something like Normal People, as I said, was amazing because it became this kind of cultural event because it was on RTE and BBC and because... Everyone had access to it and it was, you know, doled out every week. It became this unifying experience. But it's rare, it's more rare that 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 is happening these days that it's such an event, like that everybody's engaged with the same things.
4: Have you heard the news? The Irish Independent has a new podcast. We're not in the
2: fairy tale business as journalists, we're in the truth business and the question were there.
4: 20 minutes, 5 days a week. The Indo Daily takes you beyond the headlines and into Ireland's most talked about stories. So
0: 25 years on, people are absolutely fascinated again with this case.
4: The Indo Daily podcast, available on Spotify, Apple, independent.ie and wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Steve Jen mentioned a phone there. I remember a million years ago on an early podcast when Apple came out with an iPod color screen that could play TV episodes. And you were showing me one of these things on this one point nine inch screen and trying to convince me that this was actually really useful on a transatlantic flight <laughs> to watch a film. Um are you uh, that's quite an extreme from uh, you know watching something on a bu- big, beautiful uh, cinema screen, right?
3: Uh, but I think we also predicted at that podcast many years ago, predicted what would happen. <clears throat> we saw digital video demand. We saw distribution. We saw mobile devices. And it's hmm. sometimes when we predict the future, we think it's going to happen tomorrow. And sometimes it takes 10 years or five years. But well, sometimes hmm. our instincts are right on this, you know?
0: Yeah. Anthony, I went to the cinema for the first time recently uh, to see uh, Dune and quite liked the movie. But I'll tell you yeah. this. I was really disappointed with the quality of the print, not the audio, which was fine. But I suspect an awful lot of people during the lockdown when they couldn't go to the cinema decided to buy themselves a pandemic telly, you know, not not a fortune, five or 600 quid, big 55 inch one and has HDR. Even the budget ones now are fantastic. And maybe they got themselves a soundbar and they're going to go back to the cinema now and they're going to see these slightly gray prints on this slightly older projector technology. And they're going to be thinking, hold on a second.
2: Yeah, I think what, what's really interesting is what you've hit on there is is the fight right now, right, between the studios who have streaming services and the authors. So, you know, like, people want event cinema in the same way as they want tentpole releases on the streaming services. So Christopher Nolan goes to MGM, right, for his next movie, because they promised to release it theatrically. And We're coming into that moment now where everybody is going to have to up their game. Cinemas are going to have to increase investment in their equipment to match what's happening on home entertainment. And I think it's actually in everybody's interest that they do it. But I also think people, as Jenna said, they want the communal experience. I went to Dune. Dune was my first film. Actually, no, *Popeye* movie was my first movie back, uh, which was fun. But *Dune* was the first popper film back, and it was wonderful to be in a room full of people who were all experiencing the same emotions. And you mm. can't get that at home. You can't get that at all. And I think, like the other problem, of course, is as Jen said, access. So in Ireland, the biggest production ever was *Foundation* for Apple TV, led by an Irish producer in an Irish studio with Irish crew which is an amazing example of what Irish production can do but what's the audience on Apple TV I have no idea they're not transparent Um, and we also know you can't really go in you can't go around talking about it so the only place to talk about it is on social media and that conversation is very different Mm. so I think you're not
0: saying that Apple is secretive and controlling by any chance not at
2: all I don't say that at all no 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 because they're filming Foundation Season 2 in Limerick so I wouldn't say that but (laughs) there is i think i I really do believe that at the end of the day it's actually that really kind of uh lizard brain community aspect of culture that we all are attracted to and normal people by the way is an amazing example of the world having a conversation around a program that's irish which is the Mm. best part about it
0: yep yep jen just coming back to you uh do you think we opened this show with the idea that there is this infinitely growing number of streaming services do you see and you've made a very very good case as to why that's not necessarily a good thing but do you think we will go back to more communal tv events or do you think that we're just it's inevitable that we're going to be segmented more and more
1: i think we need to um really get behind what we see on on broadcast TV and I think if you look at something like the production company, I think they're called World or One World, that were behind Bodyguard, they're behind Line of Duty, they're behind Show Trial that just ended on Sunday and I think something like that, that sparks conversation and it's the Sunday night, like you were saying Stephen about, you know, HBO doing their big Sunday, BBC are doing their big Sunday and they're really cleverly trying to hook that audience in that may go to Netflix or may go to Amazon or whatever and go look it's right here it's on BBC it's out every week and at the same time and everybody's watching the same thing and they're really good at doing that press and PR around it and I think that's really important for broadcast TV is to get behind their shows and promote them in a way that makes it intriguing and exciting for viewers and you know as you said at the start of the show Adrian nobody wants to spend 20 minutes tooling around the Netflix library trying to find something to agree on so it's way easier if If it's just a show like on BBC, like Line of Duty that you can jump into and go, great, this is my next six Sundays covered. And I don't have to think about it because at the end of the day, we're lazy creatures. So we need that kind of put into our faces. So I'd like to see that will be the future, I think, for broadcast TV if they do that more and more and kind of play the streaming services at their own game and go, you know what? We have the quality. We have the writers. We have the production. We can still do this. I mean, they don't have the blank check. That Netflix have and the Netflix model is weird because a lot of it seems to be just throw everything at the wall and see what sticks and that's not the way you know places like the BBC or RT can work so you have to have what what are you offering then and it's like we're offering quality we're offering your assurance we're offering you names that you trust and writers that you have enjoyed before and I think that's the way it's going to go and that's how they can even the playing fields a bit
0: Steve, are you expecting in terms of shows being commissioned or ideas and projects being tossed around, are you expecting a difference in approach or has that happened already in terms of big networks saying, no, we're now basing this more on data or is there still a space for, you know, individual executives recognizing original thought and original ideas?
3: Yeah, absolutely. And even even though Netflix can seem like a a big monster and even HBO Max and Disney Plus, when you meet the individuals, they're very different. They're not coming with a data story, they're actually just into telling stories, they're into talent. Now I do believe then that they're data driven as well. So the big ones are definitely data driven, but the individuals are creative driven. People in places like RTE wouldn't be as data driven, but I do think and I've been saying this for a long time that we need to invest more in Irish creatives because if you look at normal people, Irish novel, Irish producers, but the BBC kind of led the funding and then Hulu uh, came in and RT came in for the end bit. I totally believe we should be funding more creatives at the beginning of the process. And Irish people love Irish stories. And also we've proven they can sell it. Like conversation with friends is the next in that series, filling up in Belfast, I think. And um but I, I kind of want to see more of that. I want to see it driven from more budget budgets, and creative budgets here, rather than coming I in mean, at the end for a little license Yeah.
0: Mm, yeah. Anthony, I presume you'd agree with that, would you?
2: Oh, absolutely. it's one of the challenges that I think every broadcaster faces is that these online media services have upped the budget to such an extent you cannot do solo productions anymore. You need to do co-productions. And if you look, for instance, at Orchie's uh, latest production, Kin, by Mm. Metropolitan, they have four or five international co-producers on that because it's the only way to get the money. But of course, the other problem is an underinvestment in um, Irish independent productions by Orchie, who in 2008 were spending nearly 80 million a year on Irish stories and now have spent 40 for the last 11 years. And
0: Well, I mean, that's a function of you know, advertising to falling, degree. license yeah. fee falling?
2: To a degree it is, but it's also choices internally. And we would just love to see A or C, spend more, more money on the creative sector, but B, the content levy, this wonderful, the possibilities that the new European uh, content levy gives to Irish creatives. Like we, If we were to bring in a 4% levy in all online media services revenue in Ireland, we could get between 15 and 20 million a year. Is that not a bit Irish. of a
0: sad <laughs> way, though, to think about a core way of funding the industry?
2: But it wouldn't be a core, it would be a secondary fund in yeah. the same way the Sound and Vision Fund is a secondary fund. The core funding for the industry principally in Ireland is, is RTE, it's TG car it's Screen Ireland, and the rest are secondary funds. Hmm. And of course, sorry, Sector 481, but the rest are secondary funds. So it's more about I think the Irish um, people paying money to the online media services, being able to access Irish stories on these services, because at the moment, to to go off on the side about uh, things, there's 160 online media services in Europe. um, And of those those services, 30% of European content, and of the 30%, 50% is UK content so the they're not even real
0: europeans
2: right <laughs> that's the question Adrian. that is the question so the definition for of europe all my is actually council of europe but if we were to remove the uk from that equation it would open up this massive space for english language irish content which is an amazing goal to have but we need the money to, to pay for that and the content levy is part of that and um, is part of that ambition
0: Fair enough. OK, listen, uh, thank you to the three of you, to journalist Jennifer Gannon, to Anthony Muldoon, who you're just listening to there, from Screen Producers Ireland, and indeed to Steve McCormack, uh, the CEO of Reflector Media and a an experienced producer. Thank you all for joining this podcast today. And that's all we have time for. So for me, Adrian Weckler, the tech editor of The Irish and Sunday Independent, I'll talk to you at the same time next
4: week. Bye-bye. <music> Have you heard the news? The Irish Independent has a new podcast.
0: Thousands of people who work in the events industry are making more noise than ever, but are they being listened to?
4: 20 minutes, five days a week. The Indo-Daily takes you beyond the headlines and into Ireland's most talked about stories. Two gangs, 18 people killed, families torn apart. The Indo-Daily podcast, available on Spotify, Apple, independent.ie and wherever you get your podcasts.